0: Well, this morning when you came in, there was a handout inside the handout, and if you didn't get this, uh, it's going to make it a little more difficult to follow me, and then it's going to take away your opportunity to follow up, so we we have someone ready right now to make sure everybody gets one, okay? So just stand up so they'll know you really mean it, all right? Just kind of raise your hand, wave at him, okay? And let him get you one, and I'd like you to have one and then be able to also take it home to follow up so this is this is all I have this morning for my sermon notes too, so all right, so i'm I've got a few things already scribbled in the side, but i I want us to do this together. So if everybody has one, you'll notice there's some extra things at the bottom that you can take home with you, and hopefully over these next couple of weeks be able to continue to make room in your heart as we approach Christmas celebration. You know the birth of Jesus was prophesied hundreds of years before he came so many promises were given about his coming and the old testament predicted he would come the new testament describes his coming and then also applies the benefits of his coming to our life and also foreshadows what's going to happen in the last days when he comes again The Old Testament prophets, according to Peter, looked diligently, they investigated, they tried their best to understand, and they couldn't grasp how there would be a suffering servant and there would still be that glorious rule and reign of a king. So Peter says that some of those prophets and people figured out that it wasn't for them, that it was for a time that would come later. This side of the cross, when we look back, it's so easy for us to figure out the time and the anticipation of what he actually accomplished. And we still long for an understanding of what he will one day do. So today, as we open our Bibles and look, you'll notice I've given you a lot of scripture references, and I I want you to grasp why we even bother talking about someone like David. Whether it be Paul writing in his letter to the Corinthians, or whether it be the writer of the book of Hebrews explaining that the things that happened then were examples for us. The things that happened then were pictures for us. The uh, word in the original language is tupas, where we get our word for type. And what it means is these were an example or a pattern of what it would be like. Now, it doesn't take away from the actual factual events of the Old Testament. But those things had so much more meaning than the actual event that happened, fulfilling it in the foreground and then anticipating it coming at a later time. So this morning when we asked the question, why David? Why did it matter? Because David in a simple form was an example of a good king, a loving king, a man who had a heart after God even though he sinned. He was a man that was anointed. That word anointed means to be set apart whether it be the anointing of a king or the anointing of a priest or the anointed one who would come, the Lord Jesus. And literally the word Christos or the word Messiah is the anointed one. So as we look today at David and we look to him as the example or the pattern or the foreshadowing of the anointed one, We begin to understand, even in Israel today, though I'm not a student of modern-day Israel, I wouldn't claim to explain the detail of what is believed now, but I can say that the whole reason people talk about David is because there was a sense of anticipation that there would be a Savior, and in that Savior, there would be hope interestingly this week I was listening to a book a recording that I used to help pass the time for about 12 hours in the car, 6 hours one way and 6 hours on the way back later in the week and as the guy was talking he was talking about how there is a sense of anticipation that comes long before the fulfillment of an act and scientists seem to believe that The anticipation is more excitement than the actual fulfillment. Ask children about their anticipation for Christmas and how as soon as they open one present, they want to open another present, want to open another present. You know, it takes a long time for them to really understand what they received in those gifts. And maybe that's a picture of us needing the anticipation of an answer. But, oh, God, deliver us from taking for granted the fulfillment of the gift jesus the son of david now some of you don't like filling the blanks get over it you know i mean i don't know i don't i don't know what else to say that's what i put in your hand all right and if you don't want to write the blank that's fine but i chose the words for a couple of reasons one to bring about a sense of repetition for you to get the point and in other times to bring about a clarification of exactly what is happening. Now, I, I sent the example of this to those who handle the pro presenter up here on the screen, and I said there are, a, there are about 11 or so passages that you don't have to list all those little passages at the bottom. Don't get too worried about that, all right? But there are about 11 or so passages, and don't try to do the fill-in-the-blank part. Uh, We're just going to give them a chance to read their own Bible and fill in the blanks for themselves. And if you miss one, you can ask me afterwards or you can go and do your own homework, all right? Because I really think it fits in trying to reinforce why the son of David. I so long for God to be our teacher and for the spirit of God to take the word of God and do a work of God in your life. So would you join me now in inviting God to teach us from his word? Lord, we bow our heads. We humble our hearts. We come to adore you and we come to learn of you. We want to take the posture of one sitting at the feet of Jesus to be taught by you. So take your word now and put deep roots in our heart. To understand the meaning of Christ as the son of David. And in this day, the cares and the troubles that we bring. May we find that hope in the Savior. That is anticipated when we simply say, Messiah, anointed one, the king, the Lord. So speak to us now, we pray a very simple prayer. Lord, speak to my heart. Could you say that prayer out loud with me? Lord, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen now for your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the only thing I'm going to use to cheat is that I have marked the verses with uh, a way that I can get to them quicker, all right? I don't know if you're dialing it up or if you're following with a book in your hand. But let's just look at these carefully and see what the scripture says about Jesus as the son of David. First, the genealogy. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins his account of the birth of Jesus in a very simple way. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And then I know that many of you don't find the detailed blessing of reading the genealogy, and you can't pronounce the names of these guys. But for a moment, just catch the unfolding of what he's trying to say. Abraham was the father of Isaac, he says in verse 2. And then it goes all the way, and it ends, and it says, And Jesse, the father of David the king. So he's showing how the genealogy was leading up to and through David. And then it lists David as the follow-up. The father of Solomon, and it goes all the way through and it comes down in verse 16 to say, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, to the Messiah, 14 generations. So, we see the meticulous account of Jesus and it's pointing to the fact that he was born as the son of David in the lineage of David now while we're in Matthew let's just pick up on one more thing that I didn't include in the notes because as you come down let let me remind you of how this was happening you had Mary and Joseph and Joseph discovers that Mary's with child, and he knows it's not his, and he doesn't want to embarrass her, and he can't figure out what to do, so he's just going to put her away quietly. And so we remember the angel coming to David, but do you remember the angel, I mean to, to Joseph, but do you remember the angel coming to him and explaining why he should not put away Mary? It says here that, verse 20, as he considered putting her away quietly, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. It's just interesting to me that the scripture just keeps in these accounts, driving home that he was the son of David. Now, let's turn to our right, just a few pages, and come to the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, the the most well-known passages of describing the coming of Jesus. First, the angel to Mary in chapter 1. And the scripture says in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, that Jesus, as he was to be born, notice what the scripture says, the angel said to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was troubled by that. She couldn't figure out what kind of greeting that might be. So the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb Bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Joshua, the Deliverer. That's his name. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, there will be no end. So the Lord God will give him the throne of Of his father David, verse 32 there in your notes. So, as we try to understand the announcement to Joseph, the son of David, and to Mary, that this one conceived would be the son of David, on the throne of David he would reign. Then in Luke, we're finding another familiar scene. Just make sure you don't get confused about how they line up. It's it's like a a TV show where you watch one character develop and then you go and you watch another character develop and then you see how those stories come together. Here's Dr. Luke is writing this, which by the way, most believe that he interviewed Mary because his details were so meticulous of what he understood about what was going on with Christ. And he tells how before Jesus was born, that there was a relative called John the Baptist that was born. And so as he opens the scene of John the Baptist, we find his father, Zechariah. And you remember that Zechariah had gone into the temple and God had told him that he would have a child who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And how Zechariah's mouth was closed because he doubted what God was saying it's kind of funny. He said, so how's this going to happen? Because I'm old, you know, and he said, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. I'm Gabriel and I'm the angel and I can make this stuff happen. All right. So that's, that's how the event was going on. And so Zechariah walked out and he couldn't talk until the, the, the baby was born. And then the scripture tells us that when they were starting to name the baby, that God opened his mouth and notice what he says in Luke chapter one, all the way down to verse 69. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us, for his servant David. What is this horn thing? Is it like a car horn or is it like a uh, you know, trumpet or what, what does it mean? Well, in the scripture, whenever you see the horn show up, it's making reference to the strength, like the strength of an animal with his horn. And so as it talks about the horn of salvation, it's talking about the strength of God. And notice how the angel had put in Zechariah's heart to trace the lineage that it would be in the house of the servant David. Now in Luke 2, we see more example of the birth of Christ. We see that the, God used an, even an evil king to move Mary and Joseph to the right place. And in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered and be taxed. This was the first registration while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And they all went each to his own town, and Joseph went to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of of David. Why? Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. The house. That's going to become an important word in a minute because it's referring to the household, the family grouping. And so now we see God orchestrating through human affairs to move Mary and Joseph to the city of David, Bethlehem, the place where David was from, for to give birth because they were of the family of David. But it's interesting. So many other places in the New Testament we could make reference. And... I know you're relieved that we're not going to look for everyone. You can, though. It could be fun to to do a search on the name David in the New Testament and try to find the various things that are said. But I just want to show you one because it's, it's just exciting to me to see how this happened. Jesus, in the book of Matthew, was talking about the Messiah and about the kingdom and They were having so much trouble understanding, and the Pharisees were mocking. And so in Matthew chapter 22, down in verse 41, I want you to look at what the Scripture says. The Pharisees were gathered together asking, Jesus asked them a question. they have been asking him questions, so he asked them a question. He said, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? And notice, no hesitation, they were right there with him. They they knew, it was just, everyone knew he would be the son of David. So Jesus says, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord when he said, the Lord shall, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And none of them were able to ask him a word and didn't really want to ask him any more questions after that day. (laughs) So to me, that's just that's so neat to watch Jesus take what they knew and try to show them what they didn't know. Hey, so who is this Messiah going to be? Whose son will he be? Well, he'd be the son of David. But did you catch it in the Old Testament when David was talking about the Messiah? Look at the Psalms and see over and over again the anticipation of the coming of the Christ. Then why would, why would David say, he's my Lord. He's my son. He's my Lord. So in the New Testament, we see so many opportunities for a different king and a different kingdom explained On the day of Pentecost if you want to look at that first one gets listed down there, Acts chapter 2 go and read it on your own and watch Peter on that day of Pentecost when he announces the coming of the Messiah and he talks about him being a whole different kind of king with a whole different kind of kingdom and he said you can go to David's tomb and you can see that he's dead but it wasn't talking about David being the king it was talking about a son of David being the Messiah. So then what did the Old Testament say? I I really found myself in a dilemma on how to present this to you. Do we spend all of our time looking at the Old Testament and see what it said and then come to the New Testament and go, aha! Or do we go to the New Testament and see how Jesus was fulfilling it and you say, I still don't understand what that was all about. Okay then, good, let's go back to the Old Testament. And so I turned your note sheet over and let's look at some of the places where the son of David was anticipated and announced. And the first thing I want you to notice is that I put all this under the heading of covenant and prophecies. In the Old Testament, there were clear covenants that were given. And those covenants that were given were were given, some of them conditional and some of them unconditional. And even in the conditional ones, there were statements of unconditional unconditional fulfillment. So God made a promise with a covenant to David. And in God's promise to David, there was immediate fulfillment in Solomon. But there was also the prophecy of what would happen if the son of David did not honor God and how the blessing would be torn away But it would not be torn away completely because God was making a promise that was going to go beyond all the sinners that would come to one day fulfill it in the son of David. Let's talk about the word covenant for a minute. The word covenant is a promise between parties. It is a commitment between parties. When I perform a, a wedding ceremony, I usually try to make clear at the very beginning that we've come together to watch the exchange of a covenant, not a contract. A contract is written up between humans with the intent of limiting the responsibility. And in a contract, the agreement between parties has all kinds of ways for you to remove yourself from the promise that you're making but not true with a covenant. A covenant is a commitment that goes beyond all of those other circumstances, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth. All of those commitments that are made going beyond the conditions of the human responsibility. God made a covenant with David. And in the covenant that he made, it is so interesting to see how it is the fulfillment of the covenants that have been made in the past. When God was speaking to Adam, he talked about ruling over the earth. And when God made the commitment that he would send, even there in the garden, one who would crush the head and conquer the evil one. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about God's commitment in the garden to send the Christ. Or we could move over and we could talk about God's commitment to Abram when he told Abraham that through his seed all the nations will be blessed. The Davidic covenant explains and fulfills even the Abrahamic covenant. Then there was a the covenant given to the people of Israel. It was given in the law, and it talked about blessings, and it talked about cursings, but it also talked about one day they would have the land and they would be fulfilled. And the Davidic covenant was the completion and the expression of the previous covenants that God had made. And so now we come to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we find David as he is talking with God. And I want you to see how the commitment that God makes to him, it would be called the covenant with David. You probably have a marginal note somewhere there that explains it. But let me set the scene. They just brought the Ark of the Covenant back. It had been captured and now returned. They brought it back and they celebrated the presence of God because all they knew in the past was the Ark of the Covenant that demonstrated to them God's commitment to them. And so in chapter 7 of Second Samuel, verse 1, when the, now the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies. And the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. What was he saying? I've got this big house over here and all we have for the, for the God, the workplace of worship is just some tent. And Nathan, without praying, <laughs> just thought, hey, that sounds right, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, you got this big house, God ought to have a big house, and we ought, we ought to make something really special for him. And I'll just confess to you, these are times when I want to pull up a stool, you know, and just have a, little, have a little fireside chat, you know. I mean, I, I just want to confess to you that sometimes I struggle with the ornate places of worship around the world. I get it. I mean, I get that people say God ought to have something worthy. I mean, I've seen the stained glass windows. I've seen the incredible ceilings. I've seen the altar paintings. I've seen the places, whether it be in Europe or other places of the world, the the incredible edifice, the place where people have worshiped. And I want to believe that they did all that because they wanted something good for God. And that's all that was going on in David's heart. He said, I mean, come on, there's this big house that I live in, and there's this little tent that God's living in, and, I mean, we ought to make something more worthy. And the response of God, I hope you'll take a little time to read it, a little later this week. Uh, said that night that the Lord came to Nathan the prophet, verse 4, and he says, go tell my servant David. And then he says, uh, So you're going to build me a house, huh? So when have I ever told you I wanted one? You ever had anybody trying to give a gift for and they say, well, what makes you think I want that, you know? I mean, here here David is trying to figure out what to do, and and God said, you sure? When have I ever said I needed one? So go and tell David. I I love this tender description of God. Of what he says about David, verse 8. Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be the prince over my people, Israel. Let me remind you where you came from, David. I look out there and see Elaine. She said, yeah, you always use those football illustrations, you know. But I, don't, uh, uh, I, I, I just thought of one. I'm sorry. I, I was watching last night the Heisman Trophy. I don't know if any of you watched that process. And and uh, as Joe, very deserving Burroughs, stu- stood up and took the Heisman Trophy, as he started to make a speech, one of the things he said just touched me. I don't have a clue if the guy's a believer or not. But one of the things he said I thought was so tender and so touching, he said, I came from a very poor place probably the most poverty ridden uh, uh, county and city in South Ohio and he said I just want to say to all the little boys and girls in in that place you could do this you could do this too I thought that was so tender of him just trying to identify not with the big dude on the platform but the little kid playing ball back home it, it's it's interesting to me that when god was ready to describe the tenderness of david you, know, david, you remember where you came from right i mean you were just this little shepherd boy and i raised you up and i set you apart to be my servant and i've delivered you from your enemies and i will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them there, and they will dwell in this place and be dispersed no more. And the violent and, that will afflict them will not happen, and they will be. I will appoint judges over them, and I will give them rest from their enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord, you will... I will make you a house. And it's interesting. David's saying, I want to build you a house. And God said, No, I'm going to make you a house. But the house God was talking about was not the building, but the household of the people that would follow. He said, I'm going to make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I want you to notice this. Three times the word forever shows up. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul when I put him away from you. You understand what he just said? I I took my hand off of Saul when he sinned and set him apart. But when your son sins, I'm going to discipline him, but I'm not going to set him apart. And your house and your kingdom will be sure forever before me. And your throne will be established forever. And in accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke this to David. Now, what's he talking about? David It's good that you want to build me a house. I don't need one. I'm going to make you a house fulfilling in your family. And here's the deal, David. Your son, Solomon, is going to build a pretty massive place of worship. I'm going to let him do that. But when he sins, and he did, I'm going to discipline him. And it's going to follow that there will be kings that will be raised up and kings that will fall down. But in the midst of all that, conditional response, catch this, I'm not sure I made it clear a moment ago. In the covenant, there is a condition where you experience the blessing. And if you don't fulfill the condition, then you don't get to experience the blessing. But God is so much, so other, so different than we are. Because even in his disciplining his children, He's still running the thread of his grace and his love and his providence to one day ultimately fulfill even those that don't deserve it. And that would be me. And that would be you. So God made this covenant with David. And as he made this covenant with him, He said in in the book of Isaiah, I'm just looking down and looking at the clock going, uh uh-oh, you ready? Let's, let's, uh, Let's fill in these blanks and you take this home with you, all right? But let it lead you to a place of seeing what God did through David. Three times he said forever in that Davidic covenant. Isaiah said in Isaiah 9, Verses six and seven. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, and of his government, of his greatness, of his increase, and of his peace, there will be no end. And here it is, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and what? Forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, said he would be on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Ezekiel, when he talked about his coming, look at what he said. He said, as he talked to them about the shepherds that were misusing their position, and instead of feeding the sheep, they were shearing the sheep. And instead of taking care of the sheep, they were abusing the sheep. And God just met them right where they were with things they could understand. And he said, look, I'm going to set over them one shepherd, my servant, David. Now, David had long since been dead. But God taking the type, God taking the promise, God taking the covenant, God taking the example, God pointing to the coming of Messiah said, my one shepherd, my servant David, he will feed them and he will be their shepherd. Oh, can you say it this morning? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. King Jesus, Messiah Jesus came And restored us back to a relationship with God. And he said, I will be their Lord and will be their God. And my servant David, who is he speaking of here? The Messiah, the one who would follow in the line of David. The son of David shall be a prince among them. And the Lord has indeed spoken this. Turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, and look at how Jeremiah once again affirms this house and lineage of David. Jeremiah, chapter 23, he says in verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely. And she will execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. So follow how God presented the coming of Messiah. He's going to be like David, but but he's not going to be like David. He's going to be like David in that he's not... He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to rule. The people are going to know they have a leader and they're going to know that he's delivering them. But he's not going to be like David because he's not going to be a sinner. He's not going to be one who is defiled. He is going to be the righteous branch. And then as we apply this to ourselves today, Jeremiah 23 verse 6 says, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Wow. Today your king, your anointed one, your Messiah, you're one that fulfilled the covenant to David, the one who was buried after bearing your sin, and who was raised, to give you glorious resurrection life what is his name the lord is my righteousness this morning do we understand that our righteousness is as a filthy rags oh hey we could go around the room and we could we could do a little righteousness meter okay we could we could check on who who told a lie this week and who always told the truth. We could check on who had pure thought every time and who had an evil thought. We, we can check on who loved perfectly and who held grudges and, and who didn't think about anybody but themselves. And some of you in the, in the section where I pointed realized you ought to be in the other section. You know what I mean? Because you, you know what's going on in your life and what's going on in your heart. And aren't you glad this morning That God didn't have to just take the best man he could find. Because even the man who had a heart after God came up so short and so sinful. Driven by his own appetites and his own self-centeredness. But in the promise and in the covenant, he sent one who was worthy to be the king. Worthy to be Messiah. And his name is. The Lord is my righteousness. The Lord Jesus. And as we make application of this today. I want you to hear the invitation of the Lord. And I want you to hear what he invites you. When you think of David. I want you to hear an invitation from the Lord. And you will find in Isaiah chapter 55. Such a sweet invitation to worshipers come everyone who thirst, come to the waters and if you have no money it's okay come buy and eat come and buy wine and milk without money and without a price why because it's already been paid Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and labor for that which will not satisfy? Hmm. Do we need to hover right there for just a minute? (laughs) Why do we spend our energy on buying stuff that's not going to satisfy? What did you buy last year at Christmas that didn't work? I'm not scolding you. I'm not saying presents don't have a place. But there is no present you can buy or you can receive that will satisfy the deepest yearning of our hearts. It's not stuff. The satisfaction of our heart comes when we hear the invitation of God who says, Come, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Do you see what God's saying? All the promises I made to David you can experience for yourself. In in my eye, God says, you are like my David. Not because you are like him, but because my son has said he will be your righteousness. And he will be the one that makes you my very own. This morning, our standing before God is not in our goodness. And all the people should say, amen. It's not in our righteousness, but it's in the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus and it's not in our ability to overcome and conquer for ourselves, or even make enough money to purchase for ourselves. It's the fact that we've been bought with a price, the precious blood of his son who came and suffered and died and was raised from the dead to, in a way that no one in the Old Testament understood how he would become sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. And now today he's waiting He's waiting on two things, really. He's waiting on the time when he will bring everything under his feet and will understand a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. But even in this moment, he's waiting for the worshiper who will hear the call. Come to me. If you're weary and you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me and worship me. I can't read this promise to David in Isaiah without thinking of the promise about, that God gave in the last chapter on the last page of your Bible. In the Revelation chapter 22, Jesus had just told them he was the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those that have washed their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and to enter the city by the gates. And then he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant David the bright and morning star oh pastor you're making too much too big a deal about this David stuff no I'm just showing you the Bible it's a thread we should not ignore because of how it points to the Messiah who would be the true king and ruler over the people of God. So just like we read in Isaiah, as my British friend says, Isaiah, I just like the way that sounds so much better, all right? Uh, As we read in the book of Isaiah, now we read in the Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears come. And let the one who is thirsty Come. Let the one who desires the water of life without price come. Would you bow your heads and worship with me? Oh Lord, we're amazed when we see the thread of your covenant to David and the fulfillment in the person and work of the anointed one, the Messiah, our Christ. And Lord, today we thank you that you know how to keep your word even when we don't. And you know how to overcome when we don't keep our part of the deal. But your commitment is unshakable and never changes. Lord, we're amazed that you can work through sinful men your eternal and glorious purposes. But there was one thing that you knew you had to do a different way. You sent our Messiah through that tender virgin miraculously conceived so that he might perfectly live a holy life and offer his blood to pay for our sin you raised him from the dead and declared that he was king and lord of the universe so this morning lord let us not miss it this is so much more than what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears and comprehend with our minds There's an invitation from you, tenderly by your spirit, inviting us to come and receive what we cannot purchase to fulfill what we cannot satisfy. So, oh Lord Jesus, we hear you call, come and adore me. For I am Christ. I am the Lord. We worship you, son of a woman, son of Abraham, son of David, son of God. We worship you. In the name and through the blood of Jesus we come. And God's people said, Amen.